This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 266 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Anatomy in Motion. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Equisketch. You can find them at equisketch.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop I am Glenda Geek And I'm Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Well howdy Helena Howdy Glenn Hey I saw you went for a ride on the beach last weekend I did. I went for a long, long ride and had a great time at the beach. Now, is this the beach right down from your house? It is the beach right down from my house, yes. And they allow, is there certain times you can ride? Are you allowed to ride on at any time? Or I'm not really sure. It's the kind of thing I don't want to know the rules because I don't want to know if I'm breaking them. <laughs> Nobody kicked you off, right? Police didn't Nobody, show up. No, no. I mean, it's for for the most part, in general, you can ride on the beach after Labor Day. I do know that I, I looked at the town bylaws when I first moved here, and I, I'm pretty sure that you cannot bring a park a horse trailer in the parking lot. But I also know that we live in a small town. Yeah. And it's kind of like the land that time forgot. So there's a lot of things. There are a lot of rules that don't that apply to the rest of the world, but don't apply here. Do For you example, have a policeman? We do. We have, oh. well, what happens is, you know, all the summer people come. So we have to have a fully stocked police, fire, rescue, emergency services center. And it's great. I mean, we have a really good, I mean, I say good, like state of the art emergency center. Um, so we're definitely, we're, we're of the world of the contemporary world, but I do say it's like the land that time forgot because there, there are no leash laws around here, so you can walk down to the beach with your dog. You know, you can build fires on the beach, and people just aren't going to give you a hard time, you know. So three ladies riding fairly quiet horses on the beach after Labor Day, not really an issue around here. Speaking of which, how did it go? Uh, was this Brody's first time? This was Brody's first time at the beach. We had ridden down to the parking lot before, just to the entrance of the parking lot. So he so saw he, the water. He saw the ocean. It was at a distance. It was probably about 100, 150 yards away. So he saw the concept of the ocean, you know, the horizon and the blue, but did not get down on the sand. So we had, um, we'd hacked around town for a while and then, then headed straight down to the beach. And, um, you know, he was, it was high tide and it was rough. It was a rough surf. And you never know what you're going to get down at South Shore Beach. There's some days it is as calm as glass. And then other days, the surf can be really rough. So not only was it high tide, but it was also rough surf. So, and I don't like to ever ride, when I'm on the beach, I don't like to ride in the deep sand just, to, you know, to minimize the risk of soft tissue damage. So we had to ride fairly close to the surf. 
But uh, the two other horses I were, was with were veteran beachgoers. And, uh, and no, Birdie just has a good head on his shoulders. You know, he didn't – he doesn't freak. He, he's definitely not bomb-proof. Like he'll look at the water and be like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going in there. <laughs> that wants to eat me. It's white, it's frothy, and it's bigger than me. So we're just going to ride over here. <laughs> Now, I saw a picture of uh, you out there, and it looked like one of the other horses made Brody look like a shrimp. Is that a half-draft or something? That's a Belgian named James. Yeah, it looks Belgian-y. I mean, big horse. Yeah, he's like a bumper horse. He's um, he's a senior horse. He's been there, done that. His owner is one of those just common-sense, chill kind of riders, you know, doesn't get uptight about anything, takes good care of her horses, La, 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 just whatever. And James has that same attitude. Uh, he was probably side. a good one for Brody to go out with because uh, uh, James could just stand in front of uh, another horse and protect it. <laughs> he, he can. And, you know, Brody didn't need a lot of protecting. There was one, you know, he, he leapt to the side on one case really when the tide came right up at his feet. Mm. And it was just a teeny little leap. It wasn't anything that would get you out of the tack. But James happened to be right there on his left, and so we just bumped into James, and James <laughs> stood there like, is that a fly? What are you doing? Just hit me. <laughs> it was really cool. And then the other horse was a 22-year-old thoroughbred mare who had a career on the track and was now enjoying retirement as someone's personal hack horse, and um, she was awesome. I mean, that horse can go, 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 but she was pretty chill as well. You know, the funny thing is that when the tide comes in, it breaks through the beach into this creek, and so there's a river, you know, and the horses had to cross it. Now, Brody doesn't like to go through puddles. So I was kind of freaking out, thinking, how am I going to get him across this this channel, you know? And the tide's coming in and all this stuff. And the other two horses are like, oh, yeah, we'll go over. We'll go over. Well, by the time it comes around for them to put the first hoof in the water, everybody decides that nobody wants to go first. <laughs> so I ended up kicking Brody on to go through the water. He He led the crossing, the channel crossing. Um, and it was good because I just needed to, you know, like dig my heels in and tell him he was going to do it. And despite his protesting, he complied like a gentleman, huh. Look you know, at him. Big I know brave Brody. Oh, my God. He makes my heart swell every time I get on him. He's just he's, just a, really, he's a trustworthy uh, horse. You worked for this. You spent 10 years trying to find this horse. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> I mean, you spent 10 years trying to find the, the perfect, you know, horse for you. Um, I found him. And, and you went through a few, you know, few ones that weren't perfect for you. <laughs> so I found him on Craigslist. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you know, you have, uh, Jennifer has her version, you know, she has Beaker, who is, you know, the, the steady Eddie, just, you know, going to be there for you guy. And now you have that, you have Brody. So that works out really nice. I yeah. was surprised in some of the pictures too, uh, how long the beach was. When I picture beaches up, you know, that I'm familiar with up in New England, they tend to be very short and not very big at all, you know. Um, but this seemed to go on forever. I, you know, I, I should know how long the beach is, but I don't. Uh, I'll give you my best guess. It's probably about two miles from point to point. And that, I'm, that might be overstating it. It may, could be a mile and a half. Which is pretty long for New England. They tend to be shorter beaches because of outcroppings and houses and, you know, everything else. But Exactly. Yeah. Then you, the, the way our beaches were created is a lot different than, say, like Long Island or the Jersey Shore, which or are... Florida, where ours will be 20 miles right. long, you know? Right. <laughs> so, Those are yeah. considered... Because if you want to Google something, Google the term 
Terminal Moraine, M-O-R-A-I-N-E. Not Terminal, terminal Moron. Terminal Moraine. Mor- There's a lot of Terminal Morons <laughs> on the beaches around here, but Terminal Moraine. It's a really cool um, geographic, geologic well, you. concept about how it's, it's a way in which beaches were formed. It's smarty a pants. I am a smarty pants. <laughs> So anyway, there's plenty of room to get up a good gallop, although we couldn't do that because it was high tide and the sand was kind of deep. Next time I go down there, I'll check the tide's charge chart and get down there at low tide, in which case the footing is exquisite. Terrific. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. You know, that's something that uh, every horse person wants to do. So, um, And you got to do it. And you live, why not? I mean, you live a mile away. You could walk down. So. Yeah, and if you come off, you're either hitting the water or you're hitting sand. That's so. right. Either way, it's good. And your horse it's a good it's a good place to step outside your comfort zone. In your case, your horse is just heading back home. So yeah. <laughs> he's that close. Exactly. I'll know where to find him. If I come off, I'll yep. know where to find him. He'll be home. Well, now we have some guests today that I'm very excited about, and I know you are too. We have Christy Land. I think it's Landwer. Landwer. Yeah. Landwer. Landwehr? Landwehr. I never knew how to say her last name. She's been on the show before. She's a return guest uh, from the Certified Horsemanship Association, the CHA. And she is bringing on a guest, somebody who's going to be speaking at the CHA annual conference coming up. And it's somebody that uh, Helena's wanted to talk to since we started this show. So, and that's Susan Harris. Why do you t- so Susan Harris is the one that did the Anatomy in Motion, and you have seen her on Facebook. I guarantee you've seen pictures. She talks about understanding equine biomechanics, and I think that's why you lie. Your 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 geekiness comes out. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, and she's also the author of the United States Pony Club manuals, yes. which I have every volume of every volume volume of yeah because I'm a freak. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're gonna like her. She's a great guest. She's she, uh, you know she she obviously knows what she's talking about. She wrote the pony club manuals on she horsemanship. So you yeah. know, speaking at the Certified Horsemanship Association annual meeting is a natural for for Susan Harris. Um, but she also does these clinics and seminars on centered riding and biomechanics and things like that. So. Um, and of course, Jennifer, who, you know, you learned a little bit from along the way is a centered riding, uh, person. So a little bit from (laughs) my gosh, I learned almost everything from Jennifer. So she'll be on, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to catch up with Laura Pryor Palmer, who was the winner this year of the Mongol Derby. Uh, Jennifer and I had a chance to catch her for an interview this morning and kind of a last minute thing, but, uh, we made it happen. She's from England. And get this, she is the first British rider, the first woman, and the youngest person ever to win the 1,000-kilometer Mongol Derby over 11 days. So she's 19 years old. She is the niece of eventing legend Lucinda Green. Oh, and keeping I, it in the family. Yep, and she, she's, not, she's got Lucinda's kind of attitude, too. She's... She's a go-getter, and she's not afraid to tell you. So um, we did this interview this morning. I wanted you to hear it because it just is a, she's a neat, neat person. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot to win this race. This is not an average endurance race. This is 1,000 kilometers. Uh, and you're riding 25 different ponies uh, along the way. You use their Mongol ponies, which aren't very big. You know, I was going to say, how big are they? They're only 13 and a half, 14 and a half hands. Do we think the Mongol ponies are anything like American ponies? Well, we're going to find out from <laughs> Laura. She has a lot to say about the Mongol ponies. The so. distance is nothing when you compare it to riding 12 or 13 ponies. Yeah, she <laughs> 20, talks how many about, ponies? 
She talks nice. about that, and she talks about the illness that spread through the writers. Uh, uh, yeah. All the little things you don't think about in the brochure that says, it's going to be wonderful. Come out and ride in the Mongol Derby. Look at the pretty scenery. <laughs> so uh, we're going to hear from her a little later. And then I have a review of a product that I tried out on our way to Ada. So I'll let you know about that and whether I liked the Noble Equine Ringside Pack. I'll let you know about that coming up as well. So, Helena, right after this word from Kentucky Performance Products, we're going to speak to Christy, who is the CEO of the Certified Horsemanship Association, and her guest, Susan Harris, who wrote the book Anatomy in Motion, The Visible Horse. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Have you heard of a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii? It's a type of probiotic that benefits your horse's digestive tract. Often referred to as S. boulardii, it works in several different ways. One unique property of S. boulardii is that it supports the stimulation of the enzymes found in the intestinal lining. These enzymes help your horse digest starches and sugars in the small intestine. When the sugars and starches are more completely digested, Fewer of them escape into the hindgut where they can ferment and cause imbalances that may lead to colic, diarrhea, and laminitis. Saccharomyces boulardii is found in Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products. Nalox Advanced contains a blend of yeast, fermentation solubles, and stomach buffers. These ingredients work together to maintain your horse's digestive tract in peak condition. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of all ages and stages and is fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, as I said, we are here with Christy, whose last name I can never say, who is CEO of the Certified Horsemanship Association. Welcome back, Christy. Thanks, Glenn. And it's easy. Land where? Like, where is the land? Oh, land where? Land where? All right. We messed it up at the beginning of the show. Apologize in advance, Christy. No <laughs> so, now, you've been on we'll the show. We'll mess it up again. You can come on five more times and we'll, we'll mess it up mess in five up. different ways. <laughs> That'll be all right, Helena. No problem. <laughs> We're just going to stick with Christy, the big boss. So, um, now you are CEO of the Certified Horsemanship Association. And we have talked about the CHA here on the show before, but for new listeners all around the world, what is the CHA? Absolutely. Uh, we are the largest certifying body of riding instructors in North America, and we certify by in between 80 and 100 clinics that we do a year all throughout the U.S. and in Canada at host sites. Um, anybody who's interested can have their own equine facility be a host site of ours. We just have some questions and things that we'll you know, ask you ahead of time, and then we certify riding instructors, so people that teach people how to have good, safe, and effective horsemanship and we're also all about fun. In order to be certified by us, there's no CHA way to teach. Glenn and Helena, it's basically safe, effective, and fun. So you're not really certifying them uh, in training techniques and things like that. You're certifying them in, in, in the basic horsemanship. Correct. So they're not being certified on how to be horse trainers. They're being certified on how to be riding instructors, and we do differentiate those two things. 
Uh, most people that are starting out learning how to ride a horse are going to start on a school horse, a horse that's, you know, already fairly trained and a pretty good guy or girl. And then, you know, in time, that person might buy their own horse, things like that. But, yes, um, our folks teach riders how to ride and become better horsemen. So that's how it's supposed to happen. See, that's not how it happened with my wife 25 years ago when she put me on the crazy walking horse. So <laughs> Wait, when she put you on the crazy walking horse? Yeah, see, that's not. You how think it maybe ha- she had a plan? I there? think so. I think it's so. But you know what? It didn't work. We're we're still together twenty five years later. So she hasn't gotten rid of me yet. <laughs> so I like this idea that there is there's a there's some thought and there's some organization to teaching people how to teach other people to ride, because what I found as and a coach, I've, I mean, I've taught people how to ski and how to ride and play all kinds of sports and it's a really difficult um goal or it's a difficult challenge to teach someone how to feel and how to make their body do things um sometimes you have to touch them and you have to move their legs in certain ways and and stuff like that so is that part of the cha program is teaching instructors how to teach this feel Yes, so when they come to a certification clinic, there's two clinicians that are going to be doing the testing, and there are required lectures that those two professionals have to teach. And some of those are risk management. There's also a teaching techniques um, class, which is much what what you're, you're, you're talking about. There's a professionalism talk, and there's a horse and herd management talk. So even though there's certification and we say, you know, we're certifying you with knowledge that you knew ahead of time, not necessarily new inquired, you know, new um, knowledge gained during the clinic, we can't help but go ahead and note that education's occurring. When you get 10 riding instructors together in a room, trust me, <laughs> there's a lot of education that goes on and sharing of information and opinions and all those kinds of things. No, horse, 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 horse people are not opinionated. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, Christy, now you're, you have an annual meeting coming up. Tell us about that. Yes, we sure do. We have done one of these every year since we've been in existence, and it's great. We go uh, to a location, different parts of the U.S. or Canada. Uh, this particular year, we're going to be in Buffalo, New York, uh, right outside of kind of the Hamburg area. We're going to include a Niagara Falls trip as part of the deal, but we always do our um, conferences very hands-on. So a person can't get certified during them, but if there's a lot of networking that takes place, a lot of education. Um, Houghton College in Houghton, New York, is providing the horses for uh, the folks to ride so they can actually get on and ride for people like um, Julie Goodnight, who we have coming, and we also have Susan Harris, who's going to be there as well, and we're thrilled about that. Well, why don't you introduce Susan, because she's on the line here. Absolutely. So Susan is with us today, and we're thrilled to have her. Um, Susan is with Anatomy in Motion, and she is going to be coming and doing a demonstration with the visual horse, and we are thrilled to have her. Hi, Susan. Hi. I am delighted to be to be here today and also to be coming to the uh, CHA conference. Well, and other people might know Susan from the, from a few little books she wrote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Pony Club Manuals, uh, are, you'll see Susan Harris's name all over it. And yes, it is the same Susan Harris. And then also, because of the anatomy in motion, I think you have made your way around Facebook more times than anybody I, knows, I know with the painted horses. So... Um, you know, I'm constantly seeing them pop up over and over again. Facebook must have been a wonderful thing for your business because, uh, well, it may have been, but I'm still sort of a Facebook novice myself. So I'm delighted if people are uh, sending the painted horse all over Facebook every once in a while. I go, Oh, there he is. (laughs) There he is. And uh, Helena will vouch for that because you do see him pop up all the time. 
Everywhere. I love it. Probably one of the most helpful. I think more people than we realize are visual learners. And I think what you've done with Anatomy in Motion, Visible Horse, Invisible Rider have, um, I think, just reached, reached a place in people that helps them reach an understanding versus, you know, it's, you, there's knowledge, but then there's understanding. So the visual contributions that you have in terms of horse anatomy, I think have really created an understanding in a lot more people. Well, I really hope so. Um, I'm an artist. I was one of those kids who got sent to the principal's office for drawing too many horses in math class. And I probably still owe my high school a detention, so I hope they're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, visual seeing has always made it work. And I think there are not everybody, but there's certainly an awful lot of people who learn best that way. So uh, even when I'm teaching writing, I'm inclined to carry a sketch pad or something, and uh, I may do a quick sketch, or if I don't have a sketch pad, I'll draw in the dirt. (laughs) Well, now I know, I've always wanted to ask you this. How did you end up, and I, I want to get more back to the anatomy in motion, but, but I have to ask you this. I've been waiting a long time. Um, how did you end up writing the Pony Club manuals? How do you get that gig? Well, I think some of this is because I had written um, Post Gates, Balance, and Movement and Grooming to Win, and I've done a lot of Pony Club clinics over the years. And um, back in the early 90s, the Pony Club wanted to, they had been using the British Horse Society manuals. I can remember as a kid, I read the British Horse Society manuals, but it's really embarrassing when you walk into a Western tax store and ask for a numna, which is British for saddle pad. But it sounds like something, it sounds like something you'd call your little brother. Yes, exactly. Numna. <laughs> I think I have called my little brother that. (laughs) There you are. So uh, the American Pony Clubs, uh, our our levels are slightly different in American Pony Club from uh, British and other countries, and they wanted books that were written at the grade reading level of the kids, uh, the approximately, you know, the normal age for each level, and they also wanted um, books that were written for the American way of keeping horses, because what works in, let's say, uh, uh, an English winter doesn't necessarily work very well in Florida or Arizona. So they, uh, I'm not sure how they got interested in me, but they asked me to write it, and basically the Pony Club came up with the standards and said, here's the information that needs to go in. I would write it. It would go back to the committees. The committees would uh, work on it and make any changes they wanted, and I put the changes in, and then it went to the publisher. And we're now in the process of revising them because uh, the original American manuals, which I think are used by Canada, too, uh, were written back uh, about 10, 12 years ago. So a lot of things have changed in 10 or 12 years, including the standards, and we're in the process of uh, working on the last one to bring them up to date. I like the fact that, that things have changed so much that the the manuals need to be updated because we've learned so much in the last 10 years. Would you would you agree with that, that we've learned a lot and therefore we need to oh, update yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say the classic good writing and teaching it's pretty good no matter when, but there are some things we've learned about that, and there's an awful lot in veterinary and horse care that's different. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, who had heard of West Nile virus? Right. So things are, you know, developing as we go, and we always have to update periodically. 
Was it because of the the manuals and the things that you've done? Is that what led you into really wanting to study anatomy and uh, particularly anatomy and motion, but you have to study anatomy to get to that point? Was that where that interest came from? Well, actually, that interest goes way back to 4-H. When I was a 4-H kid, I had the old... um, visible horse model. Some people may still have one. And I did a 4-H demonstration on anatomy of the horse that took me to Cornell. And actually, we uh, <laughs> on the way to the place where I was supposed to give my demonstration at state level, we walked by Cornell's slaughterhouse and looked through a window, big picture window, and there was a cow hanging up showing the anatomy of the cow. And I don't know how I got through that demo. <laughs> Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but I've always been interested in anatomy. And then as an artist, the more you know about the basic anatomy, the easier it is to draw. When I draw a horse, I usually do a very simplified skeleton, uh, whether it's uh, standing or rearing or upside down or whatever. And that gives me the lines and the proportions. So I've always been interested in anatomy. And also, I'm really interested in um, biomechanics, we didn't use that word all that many years ago, but how horses move and why they move that way, what's good movement, what's bad movement. And that goes way back to my wonderful first instructors who explained this as they taught. It's, you know, the other question that I'm, that's begging, that's in my brain here is when you, how did you translate this hit cut, Glenn, I'm just not with it today. What I want to talk about is the artwork. So um, oh. let me get my brain around this a second because uh, I'm mm-hmm. looking at these pictures of. OK, so here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. There's an image on your website, Susan. It's a portrait of a thoroughbred. And when you talk about mm-hmm. capturing um, proportion and lines, uh, this particular image of the thoroughbred really speaks to me because um, there are a lot of artists who don't capture, I guess what I would say is the nature of the animal, the, the physical, the external anatomy, the variations in skin and light and the lines of the muscles and whatever. How do you feel when, when you're actually creating works of art? Do, does it come naturally to you? Is it intuitive? Or do you have to focus on um, articulating these images as you're painting? Well, I'd say it's a little bit of both. Because uh, for one, uh, I was lucky my mother was an art teacher. And I can't remember not being able to draw. And the first things I drew were horses, which totally mystified my non-horsey parents. <laughs> I think they thought they brought the wrong kid home from the hospital. Uh, but I, when I draw a horse, I mean, I have to say, I just love horses. So when I draw a horse, I'm really interested in what makes this horse unique. So sometimes it's... Uh, a look in their eye, or it's the particular shape of their head, or the set of the ear. Sometimes it's the way their body comes together. And they don't have to be all built perfectly like Secretariat in order to be really interesting and make really good art. One of the best paintings I think I've ever done was many years ago. Um, Some folks asked me to do a portrait of their horse, and she was a little half-standard bred, half-heaven-knows-what-else mare with a heart of gold. 
but she looked like the picture from the 4-H manual of the horse you should never buy because it has everything wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> and if they had let me, I would have done her with her head over the stable gate, you know, schmoozing with a cat or something. But, oh, no, they wanted her posed in front of a split rail fence looking like secretariat. So we had to show all her bad confirmation and all its glory. But the heart of gold was there, and that was, to me, the most important thing. And, you know, that horse can be pretty or ugly, but, boy, she had a great heart, and, she, and the people loved her. And that's what really mattered. Now, when you do your clinics, you take a, a, a gray or white horse, and, and you paint them up so that uh, the, the anatomy and the muscle structure and everything is there. How long does it take you? I was wondering how long it took you to, to do one to get ready for a clinic. It depends a little bit on the size of the horse and how well-behaved he is. I was going to ask that to question, too. <laughs> <laughs> hard to paint a moving target. But usually it takes me between two and three hours. And wow. sometimes, and I think we're going to have this happen at the uh, CHA conference, Sometimes we have an anatomy and motion workshop at the same time. So I have to do I have to draw the skeleton on because that's rather difficult detailed drawing. But when we come to the muscle side, I will lay in the lines, talk about the muscle and where it goes and where it attaches and what it does, and then volunteers from the audience come up and draw on the muscle. And when you have painted in brachiocephalus, you know where it goes and you know more about it than if you just read it in a book. Huh. And our extra instructors are so excited, Susan, about doing that. We're going to allow 15 of them to sign up ahead of time for it and have it be kind of its own special workshop. And not oh, only are good. they thrilled we'll about painting the muscles on, but I'll tell you who else is thrilled. The students at Houghton College trying to decide which special gray horse gets to be the <laughs> visible horse. That's been a huge deal, too. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Tell them if they can find one that can jump. We will have, especially if they have time to teach it to free jump, we will have an extra special demo. That's optional. We don't have to do this. But one time in Europe, I was lucky. I had a big warm blood. He was took a long time to paint, but it was worth it because he would free jump. So we could send him down a lane, and you could see the skeleton and the muscles as he got ready and launched himself into the air over quite enormous fences. So if they have a horse that will do that, that would be ideal, as long as he's also gentle to work on. Oh, that would be cool. That would be goosebump stuff, because you, you see yeah. him uninhibited without the rider, without the bit, bit, without the bridle, you know, just doing what he does. Yes. Yeah. How do you... Um, what do you find is when you when you do these? Well, do you does this happen often these days where you have clinics where you can actually get a, a horse that's fully painted, or is that more more rare these days? No, it depends on the the time in the year. I go all over the place. I have I can't. I've lost count of how many visible horses I have done and exactly where, but I've done them everywhere from Australia and Japan to Europe and was lucky enough to do one in uh, Vienna. Unfortunately, they didn't let us paint one of the Lipizzan stallions. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder why. <laughs> but but uh, we did a That whole standing race. still problem probably was a little bit of that. Was... <laughs> well, I don't know. They're very well-mannered, but I think they have great tradition, and I don't think they wanted to see colors on them. <laughs> but, yeah. um, uh, but we did have a, a wonderful time watching the horses train at the school. Um, but uh, Peggy Brown is my the other half of Anatomy in Motion. Unfortunately, she won't be here with us at this, uh, at this uh, conference. But Peggy is the visible rider. 
and she wears a bone suit, and she shows how the rider's body works. And Peggy and I sometimes get to work together. So we have been to, one time we had to go to Japan and do a session for the Japanese Jockey Training School. And Peggy had to learn how to ride the jockey seat. She said she, of course, we painted a big thoroughbred horse. And we're really, really glad that uh, she did not have to gallop on the racetrack in the jockey seat, painted or not. (laughs) (laughs) She also had to learn to ride the Colt. Uh, in the skeleton suit, and we did this in Iceland at the Icelandic Horse, um, the Icelandic Horse School in Holar, Iceland. It's a uh, the government school, and they had to body clip on Icelandic horse for the first time ever. Those horses are kept very natural. They had never, ever body clipped a horse before, but I can't draw on six-inch long waving hair. (laughs) So they body clipped an Icelander for us, and it was quite amazing. And then to see this happen, uh, to see the anatomy move when the horse is doing the colt instead of just walk, trot, canter was quite amazing. You have gotten to see and do some amazing things, things that you probably never dreamed of 20 years ago. I never could have guessed when I was, you know, a kid drawing horses that it would, uh, I would end up doing this or that it would end up taking me all over the world. <laughs> but uh, I'll take it. It's great fun. Well, let's bring Christy back in. When is the, uh, now you're going to Buffalo for the annual meeting of the CHA, and I'm hoping that that's not in January and it's a little sooner than that. No, it's just next month. It's How good. The 17th to yeah. the 20th, and I just want all your listeners to know it's for everybody. You don't have to be an instructor to come. It's for somebody who just loves horses, wants to learn more about them, um, people that own them, anything along those lines. So come one, come all. Do you have to be a member of the association, or can you sign you up? Not. No, okay. Absolutely. It's open to anybody. So when is it again? October 17th through the 20th. Uh, and it's in Buffalo. Where can people find out more? They can find out more on our website. Uh, just They can go to CHA, and then it's a hyphen, A for American, H for horsemanship, S for safety, E for education.org, O-R-G. And they click on the International Conference button, and everything will come up, including the schedule. That will show when Susan is speaking. She's doing three different talks for us, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So we're thrilled to have her on that. I believe you're all day on Saturday. We're going to keep you very busy, Susan. <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Be <laughs> I'm great. looking forward to it. Uh, I'd also like to say um, I have been really busy with the uh, oh, anatomy and motion and with centered writing in recent years, but I'm a life member of CHA. Uh, I used to teach CHA instructor clinics myself, and it is wonderful education for instructors. And not only for instructors, I think also for riders to uh, learn you know, what you need to learn, how to be safe and have a good time, whether you just want to ride down the trail or you want to get more serious and do higher level work. Thank you, Susan. We've been thrilled. Susan's been on our board of directors in the past, Lennon Helena. She's actually drawn for our composite manual of horsemanship. She's been very involved with CHA for a really long time, and we've just really appreciated it. Well, we certainly have enjoyed working with you too, Christy, over the last, really, I think five years now since we started. Um, we've been uh, chatting with you and talking about the CHA, and uh, we'll put a link in our show notes uh, to your website. You can just Google Certified Horsemanship Association, and it'll pop up as well. But the National Conference, October 17th through the 20th at the Showplex in Hamburg, New York, and uh, in conjunction with Houghton College. Thank you both for coming on. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I hope we see everybody there.
Well, there you go. You ready to go out and paint your horse and go out and uh, see how he moves? Yep, I am. <laughs> you <laughs> could paint your horse. You have to paint him white first. Paint him white. I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, I know. I'm never going to be able to get him clean, so we'll just camouflage him with paint <laughs> there you and, go. There you know, you go. bones, sticky tape, and post-its and stuff. Well, at least with your horse, he's kind of, what color is that anyway? Oh. He's, he's an appy. Uh, I guess, you know what? I don't know because he has chestnut hairs. He has silver hairs. He has. (laughs) His spots are chestnut. Are they? Yes, they're chestnut. But he has. So he's white. But he's mostly white. And the the white's definitely the base. And then all of these other colors on top. Right. But his tail is silver and gold with a few strands of chestnut in it. You know, all I see there is a grooming nightmare. That's, that's what so I just don't groom him. <laughs> I don't. All I do is trim his mane so it looks like his coat pattern is on purpose. By the way, I discovered a huge advantage to having a 12 and a half, almost 13 hand pony. What's when that? you groom him, it takes no time at all. There's like half the horse and I can reach both sides over the top. Yeah, but then so. your face is right at dirt level. <laughs> That's the problem. When you flick that brush, you're eating. It is kind of that way, yeah. yeah. But uh, he is he's so easy to groom because it just doesn't take any time at all. There's <laughs> a lot less body there. <laughs> I do like ponies that way. All right, well, let's uh, hit our next uh, guest coming up. And this is right after we hear from Equisketch. Jennifer and I on the Horses in the Morning show. Uh, Jennifer got arranged at the last minute for Laura Pryor Palmer to call us. She, as I said, was the winner of the Mongol Derby, and she's going to tell us all about that. And you're going to like Laura. Glenn the Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the Equisketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. Equisketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad. And all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for Equisketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to Equisketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. Equisketch.com. Laura is the winner of the Mongol Derby this year. She is a teenager, 19 years old. She's niece of eventing legend Lucinda Green and has uh, won the race this year. She is the uh, first British rider to win, the first woman to win, and the youngest person to ever win the 1,000-kilometer challenge that began in 2009. We've covered this race uh, many times here on the morning show. And uh, it, it is quite extraordinary, the things that she has accomplished. She actually came in, uh, you know, she came in in second place, but the, uh, the lady who came in in first place was, uh, was eliminated because of uh, some vet issues with the horse. So she ended up taking over the first place. 
So uh, we'll see if Jennifer gets a good connection with her here and we can get her on. It'll be very exciting to chat with her. It's been a while. We've been trying to uh, get a hold of her. She's been kind of busy. So we're going to find out why she did it and uh, what the story is with Laura Pryor Palmer. Again, 19 years old, youngest one ever to win the race, first woman ever win the race, and the first British rider to ever win the ultimate in endurance races. And that's a thousand kilometers. That's a long way. It takes many, many days. And they actually ride the Mongol ponies, uh, which are provided to them. So they ride the horses that are given to them, and they get different ones each day. So it's not like it's not like they uh, they get their choice. They they don't really. Well, let's uh, see. Laura's ready to talk to us. Uh, good morning, Laura. Good morning. I'm so glad you got through. Thanks for being persistent. That's fine. <laughs> We were so excited to speak with you. I was just telling everybody about uh, all of the firsts that you have by winning this uh, Mongol Derby this year. Why did is this something that's been a dream of yours to do, or or did, were you you know were you at a party one night and they all challenged you? What was the story? <laughs> I think I was at my own party on my own and I challenged myself. Really, I actually okay. <laughs> pretty late. Um, I, I'd known about it for two years, I think, um, but it is really expensive. So I always thought, God, I, I won't ever be able to do that until I'm earning my own money. And then I signed up very late, and I just, oh, I just thought I really want to do it, and so I got some money together. I still haven't paid them the full amount, but, because you have to pay to compete. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I didn't discover until after I signed up uh, quite how tough it was going to be. You only realize that when you speak to past competitors who have done it, because uh, the website is quite lighthearted, and even though they admit that it's a pretty dangerous event, they certainly don't tell you the full story. Yeah, it's full of pretty pictures that make it look like a wonderful little jog through the countryside of Mongolia. Indeed, indeed. Oh, <laughs> you soon, you know, you literally you become blind to the landscape. You're in sort of, it's so beautiful, and you have to sort of hit yourself. Say, gosh, look at this, because you're in so much pain, and you're so focused on where your pony's neck's going to step and how you're going to get to your next uh, to your horse station that you you don't you don't stop to look up and enjoy it, which is sad. Now, were you an endurance rider before, or were you an inventor, or what were you doing? I, I, I'm young, so I'm, you know, I'm nothing. I'm just a schoolgirl. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I event and I hunt, but I've never endurance ridden. So I, I thought I would never win because I knew that I suddenly discovered, actually, that endurance riding was a thing, and that there were going to be lots of endurance riders doing it. Um, so I, I was really intimidated by them, and they all seemed to know lots of stuff about how to canter a pony for 40 kilometers. I knew nothing. So I learned a lot off of, off of them at the start camp. We do an endurance day here on the show once a month, and we have one of the top endurance riders in the world come on with us. And, and you know, she talks about all the little intri intricacies like the tack and what you wear and, you know, how not to end up with blisters, the, you know, and all of that stuff that goes into endurance riding. So it's fascinating to know that you really went into this without really knowing a lot about all that stuff, all the yeah, things that they plan yeah. and prepare for. <laughs> it's not, yeah, I knew absolutely nothing. But then again, it, it is not an endurance race. Like, they, they emphasize that on the website. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it requires a lot of endurance, but it's very different to the sort of FEI endurance racing that everybody does. They take heart rates, but it's slightly different. Your time doesn't get stopped or anything. Uh, and it's like nothing, nothing applies in Mongolia. You know, all your sort of preparation basically goes out the window, just so long as you're fit. Um, that's all that's required, really. 
You know, I don't, maybe this is because I'm a guy, but I think about these things. So when you're doing the race, obviously you're stopping in the evening, right? You're not riding straight through because this is a several-day race. Exactly. Um, you, they have a tracker on you, so you are not allowed to ride past 8.30 p.m., so you can't be moving past 8.30. Okay, so, so are you eating? This is the thing that concerns me. Are you eating local food, and, uh, or, or do you bring your own so that you don't risk getting violently ill? No, that was a huge problem this year. So you're only allowed five kilograms of luggage, so you definitely cannot take enough provisions to eat your way through the Mongol Derby because it, you know, it takes seven to ten days. So you you do eat the local food, but this year I think 90% of the riders got uh, diarrhea and vomiting and you know sickness. Some got it earlier than others. I got it on the very last night. It's it doesn't last that long, but it is, yeah, it's from the food or the water or something that they give you. And you're also, it's probably just because you're so dirty, your hands are disgusting, you've been riding a horse, you know, you don't have time to sanitize or wash, there's nowhere to wash. Um, so you just, you know, you put some food in your mouth and you're using your really dirty hands. I'm sure it was from us. The food is fine. I got told it was inedible, but actually, you know, they feed you mutton soup and stuff, which is perfectly nice. There's just some bad stuff that they try and make you eat, like dried yogurt, which is the bitter, most bitter, disgusting thing ever. <laughs> and then they also have this, this drink that they're all obsessed with, which is cool. It's, it's, it's fermented uh, mare's milk. So they milk the mare's there and drink, and then they, and they turn it into alcohol. And they offer it to you, you know, in the very beginning of the morning. And then I think they drink it all day long. And um, it is just, you know, you can barely have a sip. And you have to try and look polite because they've been so kind to offer it to you. But it's uh, not, not very edible. <laughs> so we're going to move from um, the digestive system taking a beating, and all of the pictures I see of you while on your clever Mongolian tiny pony, which looks to be about 13 hands, you're carrying a backpack. What do you carry in said backpack, and why? Uh, so sleeping bag because you you know you get stuck out at night so you need a sleeping bag. Uh, carry a jacket because the weather in Mongolia is extraordinary. It changes really really quickly. So it'll be really hot. Your pony will be puffing and tired, and you'll ride towards the mountain, and that will cause the weather to change. And there'll be huge clouds, and before you know it's raining seriously hard, and you'll soak to the skin. So a jacket, you know, some weird you know little instruments in case of emergencies like ropes and. Uh, a you know, tiny bit of food. I I took a diary. I didn't write in it. I was too tired every night. <laughs> um, you know, it was up to you. Whatever. You, well, you could take whatever you want. Ma the main contents of the backpack. Sorry, I should have said this at the beginning. Was the bladder that you fill up with water and drink from. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mine started leaking halfway through, uh, which was a bit ah! of a nightmare. I could only fill it halfway. So I would sort of by the halfway through a leg, I'd run out of water and be really thirsty. So I hated it when it was hot. Much preferred it when it rained. Um, now, did you, uh, we we what? rode 25 different ponies, so I wasn't just on one one pony, just to go back to that. That was my next question. So you rode 25 different ones? Yeah, so you obviously can't, well, you could ride one pony for a thousand kilometers, but it'd take you a long time because you couldn't be cantering all the time. So you ride each pony for 40 kilometers, and then you get to a horse station, which the organizers have got together. They've got a lot of different herders to bring their ponies along. And there are there are ponies everywhere in Mongolia. You'll be riding along and just see these beautiful herds of you know, mares and foals cantering past you. It is extraordinary. It's like a sort of 
you know, horse lovers' fantasy world. Uh, so, so they all bring their ponies along, and you know, it's just like a status symbol to have loads and loads of really fast ponies. And so then you, you, if you get there early, you are allowed to choose from 30 or 40, you know, dozy-looking animals. But actually, once you start tacking them up, they are really feisty and nothing like as tame as Western horses. So they're quite, quite exciting. Now, were they, are they all broke or green broke or broke to death or what? They, they, they've been broken. Um, they're between the ages of 5 and 15, I think. Okay. And so generally the ones, well, they'd all been broken and like they'd had a saddle on them, but like some of them just like refused to be broken properly, like the wildest ones. But then they always tended to be the, the best ones, the ones that wanted to gallop the most. So you had to sort of make a compromise and ask for the wild ones that buck loads when you tack them up and get on. <laughs> because when, once you've got over that bit, actually they gallop super fast. I'm lucky I've got long legs, so the sort of bucking is not very comfortable. And they can get you off. I mean, they're pretty good at it. But, you know, if you just sort of send them off in a straight line, they, they tend to forget about the bucking and just go. They're really you, They're so much fun. You talk about getting you off. Didn't you take a nasty silver one day? Yeah, I took, well, I took two falls, and they're both because of marmot holes. I think that's why a lot of people fall off. They're these little squirrel uh, animals that make huge holes in the ground. And sometimes there's so many in the ground that when a horse is bolting, it can't, it can't read the ground quickly enough to avoid them all. And my worst fall was on the last day. My horse went so far down into a marmot hole. I was surprised it didn't break its leg. Uh, rotationally fell over me, uh, you know, landed on top of me, we rolled out. God, I don't know, I somehow managed to keep hold of its reins or else it would have been gone into the distance and I would have come last or something. And and remarkably, I was so lucky to be okay and the horse was fine too. So <laughs> it took me a while to get back on that one because it had been really wild. I put my foot in the stirrup to get on when the herder held it for me back at the station and it, it managed to throw me to the ground before I'd even got on it. So getting back on it on my own without a herder to hold it was pretty pretty difficult, but I sort of somehow got there, just kept trying. Now, I assume you didn't buy that one and ship it home. Oh, my God, I, would, I wouldn't have minded it, you know. They've, the ones that were feisty were pretty, you know, they were, you had a lot of respect for them. I had the most incredible one um, halfway through. It was just like a lion, and I got on it, and I literally, I couldn't stop it cantering almost the entire way. It went up a hill path in trot, which no, most of us probably didn't walk. I it must have had the record for that leg. Above. <laughs> Like so fast, so fit. Came into the station with a normal 64 heart rate, um, and it was just unbelievable and so wild. I mean, the herder had to ride out with me on it just to sort of stop it going nuts and stop it from really galloping too fast. And they had to get on it before I got on it to sort of you know get the buck out of it. So uh, yeah, they're pretty exciting. They're not, you know, they're, they're fun. Now, how much, how much of this would you say, and I'm not taking anything away from your accomplishment because it's absolutely amazing, how much of it is the rider, how much of it is, is the luck in the ponies that you draw, uh, or how much of it is just crazy determination? Uh, it's absolutely like luck full stop, not necessarily from the ponies, but also just like luck that you don't get ill um, and have to stop and go on a drip. Yeah, but all the, the ponies, I'd say, yeah, if you're at the back, you do tend to, there's less, slightly less choice but halfway through only half the riders were still riding so that meant that you, there was no one at the very back so there were always 30 or 40 horses at a station so therefore they would only be choosing from the 
10 to, you know, they, they still have 20 to choose from. So, and I got just, I think I, I got one hell of a lot of really lazy ponies. So everyone, everyone does get lazy ponies. I just, maybe I got less than others. Um, everyone gets fast ponies too. Uh, but I was extremely lucky with some of my ponies. I was just also really lucky with, you know, the navigation. I was used to that. I just followed other people. And then I, this year's course was slightly easier to navigate than other years. So that was lucky. Um, I was, it just depended, you know, if you were willing to work, ride on your own, that helped, because some people refuse to leave other company, and that just doesn't work, because you'll get on a pony that's faster than your companion's pony, and you need to leave it behind, or it needs to leave you behind, um, but, <laughs> yeah, there was one hell of a lot of luck involved, it's, you know, it's a, nothing like training, you know, because also, I, you know, I didn't put enough preparation in to warrant, you know, me saying that I worked really hard for this victory because I signed up six weeks before even though I had been riding a lot um, beforehand so yeah it's, I, someone else would have to analyze it but I say large amount of luck large amount of determination okay. too but everyone who finished had a lot of determination like it was just finishing is more impressive than winning really it's just winning is just a random bonus I didn't quite know how it happened so now that you've won the Mongol Derby do you ever want to do the Mongol Derby again yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I, I've got 10 pence left in my bank account, so I don't think I could... <laughs> I, mean, I love it if the Mongol Derby was 100,000 kilometers instead of 1,000 kilometers, because just as it got to day seven, I was, you know, my body had adjusted to sitting on a horse or standing up in stirrups all day, and um, I wanted it to go on forever. I was quite sad it was over, so it would be fun to do something much longer, or perhaps on my own, because I quite enjoyed riding on my own. So we're going to see less more of prior problem yeah. on Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> Riding across Europe. <laughs> yeah, there's too many motorways in Europe. I'd have to choose another continent. <laughs> well, congratulations. What a wonderful feat, and we're so excited to, to have the opportunity to have talked to you. It's going to make eventing look boring now. You realize that? It has. I know. Sadly, my adventure's <laughs> lame. Um, so I'm not really riding very much at the moment anyway. But, uh, yeah, so it's just a it's like nothing like it's thrilling because the horses don't gallop cross-country. That's why I've been looking, been looking at national hunt racing and thinking that galloping galloping properly into steeplechase jumps looks much more fun than eventing <laughs> and slowing a horse into a perfect, you know, bouncy canter for the next skinny. <laughs> boring and mathematical. Do you know what I mean? There's no... It's too, too girly. In fact... People think cross-country looks tough, but actually, to, to be a jockey, I think, is much braver. <laughs> That's funny. Your aunt just rolled out, or just uh, went, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, do I talk too much? I'm, I've been in my room all day, and I'm quite, I haven't talked all day. <laughs> no, I think that's terrific. And it is true. Once, when you're young and you do some of this daredevil stuff, you get done with it, and it's like, well, now what? You know? <laughs> I know. It's terrible. I think I've peaked too soon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, I think jump racing, that would, uh, that would certainly give you a thrill. That's, that's going to that's gonna be every bit as challenging. So. I'm well, too cool. Too cool. My legs are too long. <laughs> Well, we'll look for you next year at the Mongol Derby, and you can be the first. Not, now you're the only. You're the youngest. You're the first British rider, and you're the first woman next year. You can be the first one to repeat win. <laughs> Goodness, never happened two years in a row. That would be a real treat. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
Well, there you go. That was Laura Pryor Palmer. I hope you enjoyed that interview. She's a lot of fun. We're gonna have to get her back on the Stable Scoop show because I want to talk. I could have talked to her all day. She was just oh, that sure. kind of that kind of guest. Well, now it is time for Tech and Habit. Cue the music. Well, this Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom, which, of course, is Helena's company. Now, Helena, let me ask you, Sparkle and Boom deals with helping people, you know, with their marketing and social media aspects of things. How much of today's equestrian businesses are social media? I mean, how much, how important is social media to today's equestrian businesses? Let me put it that way. Oh, it, it, it's above and beyond any other kind of media or marketing outlet that you can have, uh, which is why we shifted our business from primarily websites and, and print advertising to new media. We call it new media. I mean, but it's primarily social media because social media is the place where um, either you already have relationships with your other horse friends or you're developing relationships with trainers, coaches, riders, mentors, as well as companies, manufacturers who make products. So in the horse world, you're not going to buy something unless you trust it's going to work. It's all about word of mouth, recommendations. You know, most people buy stuff that their trainers tell them to buy. Right. (laughs) Because you trust your trainer. So with social media, it's got this built-in level of trust. So if you're in the equestrian industry where trust is a huge buying factor, social media is the way to go. So, yeah, um, social media is the way to go because it just has that built-in level of trust for uh, among the, the audience there. Very good. And, of course, they can get a hold of you, Hal, if, if uh, they're a company out there or a farm or a breeding business. You can find us online at sparkleandboom.com or go to our Facebook page. Just search for Sparkle and Boom. It's cute. I actually I, I love our tagline, find your sparkle, get some boom. And it's really about taking your existing business, which, you know, a lot of us have spent a fair amount of time getting our business to the way we want it to be. But finding that little extra sparkle, which is, you know, just putting a professional face on your marketing and your communications can really make a difference in your bottom line. It it really can bring new business in the door. So that is the origin of our tagline. Find your sparkle. Get some boom. (laughs) I love that. Well, today I have the review for you, and uh, this is the Noble Equine Backpack. uh, I got one of these a little while back, and it's called the Ringside Pack. And what it's meant to do, it's meant to be a backpack that you would take to shows with you, or you know, you want to carry your stuff to a show, or you're going. You're, you're going to the barn and you're taking lessons or and you got to carry your gloves and your water bottle and you know, all that stuff. Well, the other thing that this one has that makes it different than other backpacks is it has a helmet compartment with ventilated panels. So on the very outside of the backpack is a helmet compartment and a helmet. I put my helmet in and it fits good. Um, so, you know, if, if now you can see why <laughs> That's this a big is, problem with it. You, you yes. know, fighting to get your helmet and it's in your helmet bag is just. Like what? Why? And you don't even need a helmet bag with this. You just put your helmet in the outside compar- outermost compartment of this uh, backpack. Now, I used it and tested it. I did put my helmet in and it fit fine and everything. I didn't use it to go to a horse show. I used it to go to Ada. So I was flying on an airplane, and I, I always, for the last 20 years, have used briefcase to carry my laptop, right? 
Yep. I've always used a briefcase, and that comes from my old uh, days working in the financial world. And I thought, well, this time I'm going to be different. I'm going to use this as my carry-on, this uh, ringside pack as my carry-on, and I'm going to use it as my brief, my briefcase. <laughs> and I loved this thing. I've had backpacks before, but I've never really liked them. You know, one of the problems with the backpacks is, one, the compartments are never in the right places. Two is the 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 shoulder straps kill my shoulders. Yeah, you know you got to get a, especially when you're all loaded up. Uh, you got to get a nice backpack that you know is designed right that doesn't kill your shoulders. So I I had trepidation going into bringing this backpack as my airplane backpack to go through airports and everything with. I got to tell you all that I absolutely loved this thing. That shoulder problem, non-existent. This thing is so comfortable. It has pads. The shoulder straps are designed in such a way that they actually have a curve to them that I haven't seen before, not the way these are, and it fits your shoulders. And I've never had one that fit my shoulders before. The pockets and pouches in this thing were absolutely perfect. It had every packet and pouch I needed for eyeglasses for water bottles for treats it had uh it has a a fleece lined pocket um it had the one thing i was concerned about with the laptop laptop was it you know usually backpacks aren't padded well this actually has two compartments one major compartment where you'd put your clothes and stuff in and the other smaller compartment is padded but my laptop fit in the padded part so i didn't have to worry about that um it it uh, it just the the material. You don't that, have to think. You don't have to think about it. It was just everything worked. It had enough compartments on the inside that I yeah. could I could put my you know my extra cords and all of that, my pens and all of that stuff. So they were separated out. It had uh, it has the quick clip closures um, on some of the stretch pockets and things. It just worked. I mean, and it's made of really tough stuff. This material, I don't know what they use, but the material is really tough. They're all of their bags are made out of this material, uh, and I don't know what backpacks go for. You can probably buy them for twenty five, thirty bucks at Walmart for the cheap ones. These I found this one at Stateline. It's retails at ninety nine. I found it at Stateline for seventy six. Okay. And, I, you know, for a good backpack that's going to last you a long time that actually is quality, I don't think that's too bad. Well, I'll tell you, I think part of what makes it valuable, I, I, I have to admit that the price point is going to keep me, it, it'll keep me thinking about the, the purchase before I make it. However, it's an excellent gift idea. Because, you know what, like, I don't think I would spend that much money on myself for a backpack. However, if I had that, I would definitely get this backpack, and here's why. Well, and, and the, Absolutely. The helmet, the helmet. thing alone, yeah. That's... No, no, wait. The helmet thing alone. But you said the easy closures. You yes. can do it with gloves on. Yes. Okay? The zipper thing has those little strings. I don't know what they call them, but yep. they're, they, they make grabbing your zipper really easy, and they don't break. Yes. You don't break the zipper pull off of it. The crop holder. Yes. It, oh, it's I forgot got about a the crop, crop holder. holder. I forgot about the crop holder because obviously I didn't use it uh, on the airplane. But <laughs> yes. So this it does is have what happens. Holder. Is this isn't exactly a backpack, and I love the fact that they call it a ringside pack. Yes, this is because... meant for going to a show or going to to a lesson or you know just carrying it in your car with all your crap in it. The three things I lose the most. <laughs> yep. <laughs> my helmet, my crop, and my gloves. And okay. it's got and it has water bottles, cell phone holders. I mean, it just. 
it is the self well that's so that's the fourth thing. Well, I break myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean you, you, you do that with or without a backpack. So right in the in the top <laughs> in the back, it in like the most convenient place, right there, easy access with one of those those zipper pulls that you won't, you know, feel like a total moron using is a perfect spot for your cell phone. So it really I to call it a backpack, I think, is doing it a disservice. It's definitely more of a a real side pack. A personal luggage personal it's like a personal assistant and you know it has now this is one thing that you don't see this makes it worth 76 dollars. it has a carrot holder on the side yeah it does <laughs> and the what makes it a carrot holder is it's mesh so the carrots can breathe yes. um so you can put your carrots in there you can put your hoof pick in there whatever you wanted to but uh uh but mostly it, it's a carrot holder so i i have one request yes for our friends at noble equine yes okay I would love to see it in a different color. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I really that. <laughs> like the gold trim. I like the brown and gold. It's very nice, very handsome. The black is handsome as well. You know, maybe a light blue, a, a lavender, a burgundy. You know, the gold trim is a nice neutral. Just, you know, some girly girl. Yeah, and all like, of their stuff is the same sort of, you know, dark grayish. And it's the, well, they have some I don't know paint. what color it is. It's really <laughs> handsome looking, actually. It they is, do it have, is not nice looking, yeah. Uh, it, it is nice. This but, gets but, a, this gets an A for me. It gets full six flakes. I it would get. I would definitely give it six flakes as well. It's never. I've never had. No, a no. I give it I five and a half flakes so. if it was if <laughs> it was, if they had it in a couple colors. <laughs> it was pretty so. colors. Yeah. So there it is, Noble Equine. You can find uh, all of their products at nobleequine.com. I really like it's a first backpack that I can honestly say now when I go on all my trips, I'm going on one next week. I'm gonna have this ba- I'm gonna have this ringside pack along. So um and and I'm going uh next week up to uh drive with Wendy at the American Driving Society annual meeting. So yeah. I need to bring my whip along, not for the horses, but for Wendy. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a fun show today, Helena. Uh, I know that uh, this is one that gave us both goosebumps because, you know, especially Susan Harris has been a person that's been in our oh. lives for so long. I mean, my life because of Jennifer, you know, being a, a, a pony clubber and us having worked with pony club kids all these years. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and certainly having the manuals are on our shelf, you know. <laughs> so, um, well, those manuals are a godsend. I mean, we don't have a pony club near us and there's nothing I want more for my daughter than to be involved in pony club, but it's, it's just not accessible to us. So to have those manuals, both for me as a rider and as a parent are, that's what we have. That is our greatest exposure to pony club, which I so fully believe in. Um, and, and the manuals, because Susan was, you know, behind them, she does such a good job at articulating concepts that, you know, can take years and years and years to express. She does such a good job with them in print and illustration that you can't help but have the greatest respect for her. Yeah, and she did a lot of the illustrations in it. There's a lot of illustrations in there, and she did a lot of them. So that's cool, too. What a neat lady. Very classy. Yeah, I know. I can't wait to meet her in person. Uh, you know, get uh, and and then to have Laura, the daredevil from England, on at the same show. <laughs> I mean, there was a con- there's a little bit of a contrast there, but Laura's like you know uh, so much fun and and such a daredevil that makes us all look like we're just sitting around doing nothing. That's a whole <laughs> different kind of respect. Yeah, that's the kind of respect I don't even want to touch. Yeah. <laughs> Nor do I want to ride for eleven days on Mongol ponies. Uh, no. That's something I really want to do. 
uh, well, you can listen to all the past episodes of Stable Scoop at stablescoop.com. And also find us on the, the app. We have a ton of people downloading the app right now. I told uh, on the morning show the other morning, I gave a list of the countries that have downloaded the app, and it's a ton of countries now. And we have a number two right after the United States. You would think it would be Canada or UK or Australia, New Zealand. Nope. It has now become Norway. Uh, We have a ton of people. So hello to everybody from Norway that's listening. I don't know why. We must have hit a blog over there or somebody promoted us because all of a sudden about two weeks ago, Helena, we have been getting tons of downloads from Norway. Norway is beating the United States some days in downloads of the new app. Wow. So I don't know what went on, but thank you to whoever promoted us over there. We appreciate it. What do they speak in Norway? They speak Dutch, Norwegian. Norwegian? Yeah, Norwegian. Norwegian. And they must speak English, too, or else they're all just listening to jibber-jabber, because um, uh, we would sound just like Minnie Mouse if... uh, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, hello to everybody in Norway. There's certainly some fun, beautiful people over there, so we appreciate you listening. I want to know how to say thank you in Norwegian. All right, we're going to learn that. That's your assignment for the next show. You have to learn right. how to say hello and goodbye in Norwegian and thank you. Uh, and also, hello, goodbye, and thank you. And where's the bathroom? Isn't that the things you always have to learn when you're going to a different country? <laughs> oh my God. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> Those are the important things, right? But anyway, you can find the app. Just search for Horse Radio Network on the iOS or the Android app stores. We appreciate you listening, and it certainly is the easiest way to listen. Many thanks to our sponsors. Today, we're Kentucky Performance Products and EquiSketch, also sparkleandboom.com. Well, Helena, that's it for this week. And that's plenty, but there will be more next week. Until then, happy scooping. <laughs>